if we're able to add more factors of authentication, then we're making it a lot more secure. If we're able to tell by your computer behavior, if you're able to tell by your voice, I mean, you can add any factor you can imagine to make that identity more secure. Welcome to a Bit Cryptic Podcast, where we interview top crypto experts to take you down the rabbit hole into the world of cryptocurrency. Now, it's time to get a bit cryptic. Hey, Cryptonauts, this is Deng, Chief Editor of Bit Cryptic. I'll be co-hosting our show today. The other co-host we have is Yudu. Now, Yudu, can you please introduce yourself since this is the first time you're co-hosting? Sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Yudu Wong. I am very excited to be part of the show. My, just a quick background about myself. I am a healthcare uh, professional. I work as a product manager for a healthcare technology company uh, based here in Washington, D.C., I've been in the industry for about eight years now. However, I'm relatively new to the crypto space, and I am particularly passionate about the intersection of healthcare, data, and blockchain. And given our topic and, and guest today, I'm super stoked for it. I'm not going to <laughs> spoil it. I'm going to reframe my excitement and have Dan to give our guest a proper introduction. But good to be here. Awesome. So today we have a special guest. So we have Alex. Today, he's the Chief Medical Officer and Director of Strategy at BlockMedX. He had his medical and business training from Johns Hopkins University, our alma mater, so yay. So Alex, co-founder of BlockMedX, is a blockchain startup that's building, this is from their website, a secure, compliant, end-to-end e-prescription solution for transmitting controlled drug prescriptions. They're creating a new incentive economy between physicians, pharmacists, patients, insurance, and authorities in order to combat the opioid crisis to help improve health outcomes and save lives. Now, so BloodMedX was recently cited as an innovative healthcare company in a report published by the Congressional Joint Economic Committee. So they were mentioned among other blockchain startups as areas just really innovating, for example, in areas like coordinating healthcare payments, monitoring and incentivizing patients to adopt a healthy behavior, um, tracking pharmaceuticals along the supply chain and bringing more transparency to supply chain problems. So, Alex, by way of introduction, perhaps you could help our audience understand, you know, how the heck did you go from your medical training in Baltimore to the world of uh, blockchain? Sure, absolutely. Uh, and Deng and uh, Idu, thanks for inviting me. Thanks for having me. So, hi, yeah. So, how did I go from being a doctor in Baltimore to working at a blockchain startup? I've always been interested in technology, and I always wondered how it could be applied to healthcare. When I started my clinic, my medical training, this is back in 2008, most hospitals didn't have electronic medical records. And if you wanted to see an x-ray, you actually had to go down to the radiology department to see the actual physical copy. Outside of healthcare, though, this is in 2008, technology had taken over everything we interacted with. So I decided to spend a few hours of free time to teach myself how to code in JavaScript, SQL, and Python. Now, keep in mind, online free coding camps had just started popping up, and I was fascinated to absorb as much as I could. So I continued learning as much as I could throughout my nuclear medicine residency at Hopkins until an opportunity came up to apply for a fellowship in what's known as informatics. It was still new, and a lot of the curriculum hadn't been worked out, but the goal was to teach a new generation of doctors to spearhead the adoption of technology in the hospital setting. So we were taught programming, how to work with big data, how to evaluate tech vendors, 
and I had the opportunity to build a process where patients could securely send and receive digital copies of their imaging studies instead of having them come in and have their studies burned on a disk, which actually still happens today in a lot of hospitals. So now we're you know, circa 2015, 2016, and I've tasted success in making a change in healthcare using technology. So I took a class at Cary Business School in machine learning, built a Twitter sentiment analysis algorithm, an NLP contextual story generator, worked with a few student health tech startups, and then ultimately was recruited by McKinsey to join their healthcare analytics practice. With McKinsey, I traveled throughout the country working with data scientists at large and small health insurance companies. Traveling the country, though, as a management consultant, really opened my eyes to how inefficient a lot of our processes are. Not that I you know, wasn't already convinced of the fact working as a clinician, but to see it extend outside the hospital setting was really educational. So a year later, I was itch itching to start working with new technology again and started looking at how blockchain could be used in healthcare from things like revenue cycle management to health insurance. This was a year ago, and I had started investing in cryptocurrency and learning about blockchain technology. For anyone interested, there's actually a, a very quick intro to blockchain technology by Peter Oliver on Amazon, you know, that I usually recommend to anyone new to blockchain. So I was looking for out-of-the-box ideas and out-of-the-box thinkers, and I came across Michael Brunner's LinkedIn profile and angel.co profile. Michael is my co-founder, by the way, and he's a trained pharmacist. So I'm a physician, and he's a, a trained pharmacist. He didn't give out much information on the idea he was developing, but it was enough that I called him up, you know, to learn a little bit more. And then we met in New York and continued talking about the opioid epidemic, about the fact that data has been available for so many years, but no one thought to run analytics on it. And it, this is partly because of who owned the data. We talked about blockchain, we talked about scalability issues, and we talked about what we hope to achieve. And when we realized we were both on the same page as healthcare providers, and this is sort of unique in a lot of the tech startups, but uh, we're both healthcare providers, both healthcare uh, provider founders, and we cared about preventing addiction, not only treating it. And we wanted to make an impact today and not tomorrow. So literally, we put a pitch deck together within a few days and set forth to start building a company that is now headquartered in Austin, Texas. So the 30-second summary, BlockMedX is a secure electronic prescribing and analytics platform to combat prescription fraud, abuse, and non-adherence. Fascinating. Uh, thanks for the summary of how you go from uh, Maryland all the way to where you are right now, Alex. So I want to, you mentioned a few things there. I want to kind of just touch on uh, particularly the opioid epidemic. As you know, it's a really a hot button issue right now. And you touched on a little bit about kind of where you started from. Could you talk a little bit about more, like what is your personal, whether it's personal or professional experience with this crisis and how did that kind of, you know, help you to go through this process and to be where you are right now? Absolutely. So let me tell you a little bit about just a few stats on the opioid crisis to give you a picture. The story itself is not great. So the rates of overdose deaths from prescription drugs has been increasing every year for more than a decade. And more than half of the 65,000 deaths in 2016 were due to drugs prescribed by doctors. So if we don't do anything to prevent this, another half a million Americans will die in the next decade. To give you a benchmark comparison, more people die from prescription opioids every year than from car accidents or from breast and pro prostate cancer combined. And then the cost is staggering. So the cost of the system is $75 billion a year with 30 billion of that in direct healthcare costs. And uh, we focus on the opioid crisis as our first use case because it's really the place that deserves the most social impact. Both Michael and I have professional experience managing patients with substance use disorder, but additionally, Michael and several members of our team, a few of the, the people we hired have had personal experience 
and loss due to addiction. And so the team as a whole is very motivated. That's, yeah, that's definitely something really fascinating. And you mentioned earlier that there's so many different players in the healthcare space, right? You have the providers, the plans, obviously pharmaceutical companies. You know, one of the key feature of a blockchain economy is you have this kind of an incentivized economy, which is all about the network effect. In your opinion, how do you convince the healthcare professionals and institutions to accept your tokens? I know there's a, a Medix token, right? And also, do you expect any frictions for them to adopt the token in order to make this work? Well, I guess to help people understand, you know, what what is the the Medix token? You know, what what is the function? What is the use of it in this economy? You know, why is it called incentives incentivized economy in the first place? Sure, absolutely. So it's long been known in healthcare that the biggest barrier to improving health and ultimately lowering healthcare costs has been patient behavior. So engaging with patients to change patient behavior is the holy grail in medicine. But up until this point, there hasn't been a good way to engage and incentivize patients without taking on administrative burden and costs. The token economy built on top of a public blockchain and the smart contracts that, that automate different processes make it possible for payers or healthcare providers to automate patient engagement so that patients are rewarded financially for taking preventative measures in their healthcare. So patients in turn then are encouraged to use these rewards in this case, in the form of the Medex tokens, to pay for services such as telehealth, in-person visits, redeem pharmacy rebates, and do all that without incurring credit card fee or paying any administrator to handle anything. And these payment-based incentives, they've been shown to work in the literature to modify behavior, but they've never been implemented in a large enough scale as we are proposing, where rewards are sent directly from payers, health insurance companies, and providers to a patient's mobile app. So we're connecting payers, DA regulators, pharmacies, doctors, and patients all on the same network. So there's a very strong incentive to take advantage of, of smart contract technology and the token economy to incentivize patient behavior. You mentioned, you know, what are the frictions for adopting Medex tokens? I can tell you that the, the biggest barrier is volatility. Volatility is a big issue and that scares traditional institutions and, and rightly so. So if a health insurance company wanted to send a dollar and 40 cents every time a patient's glucometer reading shows a normal sugar range or sugar level, it wants to make sure that it's sending exactly a dollar and 40 cents worth of Medex tokens to the patient's wallet. So, and we've thought about this a lot, we had a lot of discussions, but to eliminate volatility, we're implementing a wallet for payers that automatically converts fiat to Medex tokens at the market rate each time a smart contract is executed, as opposed to buying Medex tokens all at once. Right. So for the listeners, Medex tokens would be used to incentivize this economy. It would be used for different kind of payments, different functions, different value transfers from, you know, there could be between the patients and healthcare providers. There could be from doctors to the, to the pharmacy. And the, we were just trying to think about, to think through, you know, why, why not just use currently the fiat money or you know the currency money that people are used to using versus a digital token these medex tokens and we're just um, trying to think through the the benefits of adoption and i think alex brought up a good point that potentially could, these digital tokens could be uh, volatile and you know how how do we think of different ways to provide more stability to it so that can really try to be uh, a really a, a smooth form of utility to transact in in this ecosystem is that right alex yeah yeah absolutely i mean the 
tokens on a public blockchain is a revolutionary concept. Using them to as a currency to incentivize behavior, again, is another revolutionary concept because with fiat, you have to have intermediaries. You have to have some form of proof that something happened. But with the tokens on a public chain, you can attach those to smart contracts. So they're automatically, once a smart contract is executed, tokens are automatically released. There's no person involved. There's no trust required. So it really allows a seamless way to do patient engagement. And for us, importantly, medication adherence, which is, again, it's, it's, a, it's a holy grail in medicine. It's a $300 billion market that hasn't been served for, for decades now. Yeah, no, I, I just had a last question because this is really an interesting point because one of the thing about, you know, like trying to promote mass adoption of this, especially for the end users, uh, the people who we really care about or the patients. So like, how, how would you make it, you know, kind of like a smooth user experience uh, for them? Like, you know, would they have to be able to understand what these tokens mean? Do they have sort of, you mentioned that they'll be getting a, a mobile app on their phone and how digital wallet, it shows their balances or the kind of services they're, they're using. Just kind of wondering, you know, what, what would be the learning process for a patient in this supply chain? Yeah, so we've, we've spent a lot of resources on user experience. We're really trying to differentiate ourselves from legacy traditional healthcare software. And as a blockchain company, interestingly, a lot of times we get asked the same question, you know, which part of the blockchain are people going to be faced at with, you know, on the UI? And the simple answer is they won't see the blockchain. This is all happening in the background. For patients, they're just using a simple mobile app with a wallet, you know, as few clicks as possible. Everything is streamlined, user experience is enhanced, and they don't know they're transacting on a blockchain. Everything's happening on the back end. So there's no 16-digit private keys or anything like that. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. I mean, a lot of the, I think the hype around blockchain, people are like, oh, when can we see blockchain in reality? But, you know, in fact, it's the matter of how do we integrate this this technology into the underlying surface so that it can facilitate things in the background. So I want to go back to a point, Alex, you made earlier about data. So I'm a huge data nerd, full disclosure. I love, I've been working with the data for a very long time, and I always love working with it. So I'm curious in terms of, since we're talking about healthcare data, there's some HIPAA rules and requirements around it. For those listeners who are not familiar with HIPAA, it's a privacy act for the healthcare data enforced by the federal government. So I'm just curious, how do patients securely manage and control the data in this big data age? And how is Blockmatics planning to use, is there any particular technology you're going to use to facilitate and secure the data? Uh, yeah. In terms of HIPAA, there's a lot of worry about HIPAA and everybody says, oh, but what about HIPAA? HIPAA just basically says you can't have a set number of identifiers to identify patients. And they've listed them out, things like age, gender, name, hometown, stuff like that. So as long as that information is not publicly available, then you are essentially complying with HIPAA. And there's been a lot of innovation in privacy for uh, and in blockchain technology. So you're able to send a transaction, or in this case, a prescription from the doctor to the patient through a public blockchain and have every all the information essentially masked. What we're doing is we're hashing the information and then we're adding a second layer on top of it in terms of identity management. And this identity is actually a very big topic in blockchain in general, but in healthcare specifically. But in terms of right now, though, the patients currently have access to their data in traditional legacy systems, but they don't control it, right? In order to control it, it actually requires hospitals and doctors to get on board with this new idea of patients controlling their data. That's why personal health records in the early 2000s, like the 
Google Health Record, I don't know if you remember that one, essentially never took off. The patient controlled the data in their personal health record, right? But the doctors wanted to keep their own records and use their own EMR software that they paid a ridiculous sum for. So the idea that doctors in the future may not have to pay for an, an electronic health record and can just be given access to push and pull information from a patient's record on a blockchain will really revolutionize not only who owns the data, but also what hospital resources are needed. So things like server farms, budget for expensive EMRs, administrative staff who have to re-upload images, access paperwork when patients transfer their care, all that will go away, right? But we're not there yet. So for right now, we are hashing the a lot of the information, so it's not available. So we're complying with HIPAA, but then we're implementing identity management, which is, again, identity is a very, very big deal in blockchain and healthcare. So BlockMedX is using decentralized identity management system. It's decentralized because we're using a public chain for authentication. And right now, we're looking at whether to use existing blockchain solutions. And there's a few that came out. You've heard of Uport and Civic. And all those provide, right now they're providing two-factor authentication. But really, once you reach enough factors of authentication, so you can think of three, four, five, six, seven factors of authentication, you start creating what's known as a sovereign identity. And that's really the goal here. We're doing the same thing with doctors. We're building an identity, decentralized identity management for doctors. And this decentralized identity management adds another layer of security uh, in terms of who accesses the information. So for doctors now, they have their own identity. So when they transfer from one hospital to the next, their identity follows them. They won't have any delays in onboarding or credentialing processes, which traditionally can take months. But with BlockMedX, they can move from one hospital that uses BlockMedX to another. Their identity follows them and they can start prescribing right away. Hmm. So portability is the key thing there, right? Identity management is, I remember the Congressional Joint Economic Report underscoring that as as a very important issue in healthcare. So could you zoom out a little bit, explain to our audience, you know, what what is sovereign identity? What what is decentralized identity management? Uh, I guess there's a broader tech uh, movement there. Yeah, decentralized just by definition means that you have the identity authentication into to, to access information on the network is on multiple nodes. So it's that adds a layer of security. But then right now, when we're doing two-factor authentication to, to know for sure that it's you who's accessing the data, we would have, you can use a Google Authenticator or some hard token that has a set of four or six numbers that changes every few seconds. And because we know that you have that authenticator on your iPhone or you have a hard token, and you know the correct sequence of numbers, then you are who you say you are, right? But if we're able to add more factors of authentication, then we're making it a lot more secure. If we're able to tell by your computer behavior, if we're able to tell by your voice, I mean, you can add any factor you can imagine to make that identity more secure. A simple example, I was actually, so we're part of a, a working group here in Austin looking at blockchain technology to help the city of Austin. And uh, one thing that came up was, again, identity. When someone, a, a homeless person or someone who doesn't have all their documentation with them wants to get some civic procedure done, usually they have to identify who they are. They have to have a, a birth certificate, driver's license, you know, you name it. So these other you know, paper factors are what essentially tell you who this person is. And we're looking at blockchain technology at, with biometric identification biometric as one factor to be able to identify these patients without having to go through the administrative burden of making sure you you know issue a new driver's license making sure you print a copy of your birth certificate uh, all these other proofs of your identity and in the blockchain space the hope is that once you're able to establish sovereign identity on one blockchain 
it's it will be interoperable with multiple blockchains so you can prove you are who you say you are uh, regardless of which blockchain you're using right so i mean there are clearly broader implications there too you know the healthcare is, is an important consideration but you know people should remember that a lot of our interactions and and daily activities that are done online through the open web we have to rely on you know very large centralized controls like you know facebook or google to prove to help prove what we say that we are you know like when, when whenever we open a new account email account or new social media account we have to rely on google or facebook to make that attestation for us to say that yes i was i meet the minimum age to open this account or you know this is my email address or this is my my phone number but each time you open up a new account each time you're manually uh inputting that data let's say you're creating copies of your personal information and it's floating everywhere around the web and and you you don't you don't remember how many accounts you've opened i don't i surely don't remember and so this is really you know one powerful way that uh, decentralized identity management and having a sovereign identity is an alternative solution to to rein in on you know all those risks yeah absolutely yeah so one thing I, I was curious about alex you mentioned earlier that blogmatics is trying to basically connect all the different players uh, using data curious what are some of the data sources you're trying to collect are you looking at public data source private or maybe a combination of both we're looking at both public and private we're currently working with the Dell Medical School here in Austin, uh, and we have several public sources from the federal government as well as at the, at the state level. So we're talking to a lot of states to be able to integrate. They have a what's known as a prescription drug monitoring database, uh, and it holds information for all prescriptions that were dispensed in a state. Usually they have a, a three-day delay or so, but uh, all the past prescriptions up to two years in the past. So we're, uh, we're looking to integrating that information, uh, that data, uh, into our software application. Are you looking at any sort of federal uh, data initiatives? Uh, I know recently there's some new data programs trying to liberalize, uh, I think, Part D data, I believe Medicare Part D data. Right, CMS. Do you guys yeah. have a chance to look into Yeah. Yeah, that's, and, and, you know, we love when the government is able to, if you, you know, open source field, the their data and their everything they've collected. Alternatively, you know, for private data, you could also buy subscription for all the claim data, health insurance data that for about maybe 80 million Americans from IBM. They actually store all the claims data and they offer it as a subscription to, you know, any large data analytics companies to be able to run analytics. But that's for a fee. So we're mixing public, private. Yeah, that's great. I think that's definitely something very exciting about the different types of data you can collect uh, in order to, to fuel uh, blockmatics. One, one interesting fact. So it turns out that if you take one hospital's entire, you know, big data, that's not enough to build predictive models, you know, accurate predictive models. It's important to be able to collect data, not only from one hospital, but from multiple different large hospitals and geographic areas to be able to have strong predictive models. Definitely. All right. So I want to kind of look ahead. I know we are almost out of time. So what do you foresee as some of the biggest challenges for MedEx right now? Sure. Well, scaling and transaction costs. So we're not solely working in the US, but we're in conversations with healthcare systems in other countries as well. And we anticipate millions of transactions per year on the blockchain. So our engineers are looking to different scaling solutions in anticipation of that high volume. And there's things like uh, sharding and uh, 
and other scaling solutions that were proposed where you can batch a lot of transactions on a local node before sending them to the public blockchain. And that ends up uh, lowering the cost. Instead of having a gas price for every single transaction, you just have a gas price for a collected set of transactions. Right. Yeah. So there, there are a range of layer two scaling solutions to, to Ethereum blockchain that um, a, a lot of projects are exploring, including yours, Blockmatic. So there'll be, you know, there's things like sharding and plasma and payment channels, depending on the different use case in, in the industry and the problem they're trying to solve. So this is really part of, part of your roadmap, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're actually, we have a really big announcement coming up within the next two weeks. I can't really disclose it today, but except to say that we've partnered with one of the, the biggest blockchain protocols in the States. And we're doing that to take advantage of some of their privacy, like pre-built privacy and security features. So stay tuned. There you yeah. go. So you guys, we, we heard it here at first on a bit cryptic on this podcast. A preview, <laughs> a preview of things to come. So just like with every guest that, that we have on our show, you know, we're interested in like, Based on, on your experience, you know, what, what kind of tips or advice would you give for someone trying to uh, jump into this area? You know, maybe they have an idea or they want to get involved in a project, you know, or maybe they're a graduate student researcher, uh, Johns Hopkins University, you know, like what tips do you have for, for them? You know, just really what's the best way to, to get a good start? The best way is to intern or uh, do contract work for blockchain companies. The alternative is starting a blockchain company, but that turns out to be very costly with uh, legal and uh, initial you know, software development. But definitely reach out to a lot of different blockchain companies to try to get involved. A lot of them are looking for writers, uh, marketing interns, business development, even engineering interns, you name it. Uh, we have a couple of interns working for us at Blockmedex in Austin. And for them, it's a phenomenal experience because they're at the forefront of technology. They get the experience they need while they're still in school, whether it's undergraduate or graduate. And by the time they're done, they're, they're going to have a ton of job opportunities. Right now for blockchain developers, I think it's 80 to 1 in terms of how many job postings there are <laughs> and yep. uh, the supply of engineers. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of growth in this area. So get curious. You know, broaden your your career outlook. You know, definitely reach out to to your networks. Yeah, yeah. Just like uh, Alex said, um, definitely reach out to to one of these companies. And 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 the cool thing about this area and this market is just a lot of things are open source and it's such a an open community. That's you know people who who are just willing to share uh, their experience and, and and their knowledge. So it, I kind of kind of speaks to the speaks to the spirit of the open source ecosystem. So it's really neat. Yeah, and the blockchain community is really strong. Where the blockchain community in Austin meets regularly, even though we're not building the same products, we're not in the same industry. It doesn't matter. The fact that we're a community of uh, sort of innovators, we're all supporting each other. So if you're when you once you start working for blockchain companies and you're uh, learning about blockchain and you're you're sort of uh, inserting yourself in the community, you'll see that there's a lot of support because not everybody wants their project to work out, but we want the community as a whole to be successful. Yeah, definitely. So it's a very supporting community. So if you're in Austin, uh, you have the Austin uh, blockchain meetup community. And then, so we've been talking about BlockMedX now. So uh, Alex, if people want to find out more about the project and you know what your team is doing, where would they go first? So we have, we post initially any type of news release on our Telegram channel and other social media. But if you wanted just a general information and updated, we're going to have an updated white paper on the website. Okay. 
uh, it'll be at blockmedx.com. Okay, blockmedx.com. Okay, great, terrific. And so that's Alex. And I think throughout the, the conversation, we, we've learned that you know, there's definitely a lot of interest in the kind of work and innovations that their team is doing. And so definitely, if you, if you want to find out more, go to the website. And we really thank thank Alex and and his community for doing I think just a great effort in attacking what seems to be like a you know like a really major ambition and so definitely have uh, their 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 work cut out for them and so thanks uh, Alex again for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate you guys inviting me and you know I appreciate having this little educational snippet to the broader community because I think the more discussion we have, the more people get interested and you know I'm hoping that. We're just starting this you know, entrepreneurship route, but we're paving the road for more mission-driven and social impact entrepreneurs to use blockchain technology. At least in healthcare, they can use it to make healthcare a lot more patient-centric and definitely a whole lot more efficient than it is today. Yep. Thanks, Kay Alex. So more things to come, especially for their major announcement due soon here. So all right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to a BitCryptic podcast. A BitCryptic podcast is hosted by Alain Leon. Dang Du, and myself, Jeff Peterson. Show notes are by our editor-in-chief, Dang Du. Website is by Sammy Toucan and his team at Pack Surge Media. Remember, nothing we say in this show is meant to be financial advice. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and family. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep it cryptic.